And welcome back to the Knox Pride Podcast. I'm Matt, and I am joined by my amazing co-host, James. Hi. Hi, James. Listen, we planned a lot, right, We did. Matt? We, we really planned did. a lot for this little opening segment. We were going to try some new things. But before we recorded this, we recorded the interview segment of this episode with Jocelyn, um, owner of South Press Coffee. And we had so much fun and we talked so much with her that I really think we just need to get right to the interview. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the what we were planning on doing was going to be fun. But after the, the recording with Jocelyn, it was just like, there's no point of putting this tomfoolery into this episode. Let's just get straight <laughs> to it. We just want you to hear the juice. But before we get to the interview, uh, make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. And without further ado, enjoy. Jocelyn, how are you? I'm good. No calls for complaints. It's really good to finally have you on the podcast. You're somebody who we have wanted on since the very beginning, but we didn't want to jump right out of the gate with the biggest Knoxville celebrity right. that we knew. <laughs> <laughs> so so we we put you on the back burner for a little bit, but you're here. And we're, we're very excited about we, it. Yeah, we had to get our toes wet a little bit before we're like, okay, let's just jump in with like with Jocelyn. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. let's just like chill out for a bit. I've just been there simmering in the pot. Yeah. Just cooking. Mm-hmm. How are things at the shop going? Really well. I think that the, the break that we took from Christmas into January gave our staff a well-needed rest yeah. to where they came back to work really energized, not just physically, but I think kind of mentally and ready to work and be creative and curate this space. And I think that just the level of service has uh, gone up. And with every semester, we kind of get a brand new start. Uh, of, of fresh students who kind of discover us in finals week of the previous semester. And then we just kind of win them over. So this has by far been our best year so far. I think partially because everybody is in such a great space to kind of, it's a, it's a creative space. And so it is. hiring creative people who kind of thrive in that environment is important. Yeah. And so the shop's doing great. I'm really happy with the way it looks. Also, just learning things that I didn't know two and a half, three years ago. I didn't know where to put the stage. You know, I didn't, a lot of layout stuff. I had never laid out a coffee shop or a venue before, so. Yeah, you kind of just have to keep keep going with the flow until you find find the right spot. That's kind of where we're at with the podcast right now, right. actually. <laughs> we're just trying to get used to everything. And then, I mean, but the shop looks great. Like, I, I absolutely love it. It's always fun there. I mean, every time, like, we go or anybody goes, like, everybody just always enjoys being at South Press or, like, just really just being in the presence of, like, a cool queer place. Yeah, it's definitely something that Knoxville didn't have before that they have now is just this like queer space where you can come and be yourself and you can come and be with a bunch of people and hang out and be social or you sometimes I just go and I sit in the corner and I just do word search. Uh it's really it's genuinely a place for everybody. 
Well, not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the coffee shops of the late 90s and early 2000s here in Knoxville were not necessarily queer designated, but they were so queer friendly that I found a lot of community in them. Yeah. And that just coffee culture over the last few years has gone in the direction of like, here's your paper cup. Have a nice life. They only know your name because they wrote it on the side of it. Yeah. But and not, they probably wrote it wrong. Yeah, they definitely spelled it wrong, uh, and they don't know who you are. And I just, um, I, I think with Cell Press, I wanted it to feel like coming home, a place where you could sit and stay a while and not feel like you're being rushed out, and just a community space. And I think that it has succeeded in that greatly just because people keep showing up for it, because that's the only way that it really works. Yeah, for sure. Did you, Matt, you're um, a... About a decade, a little more than a decade younger than I am. Did you spend time in coffee shops when you were younger? Or was that kind of like the point where it was not really a thing? No, I, I, whenever I was younger, I was working in high school. I got to co-op. So I got to leave at like 1230 every day to go to work. And then when I'm not at work, you know, I grew up in a small town. We didn't really have a coffee shop. We had like, you know, fast food restaurants. We had like a couple dollar generals and then like a park, but we didn't really have like a place to like chill at. So like when we did like, you know, hang out, it was like at my friend's grandmother's house, like in, in the attic. It was, it was her, like her bedroom, but like, did it was, she like, make you attic. coffee? Uh, no, but <laughs> so we, we all just called her grandma, but she was super cool. So we were doing, um, some stuff there uh oh with some smokage oh okay so (laughs) that's all we did and like it it was cool but yeah we never had like a place to chill except for like at a park so like now that i've been living in knoxville for like 10 years it's just dramatically different than i bet coming from a small town i grew up in oak ridge and there was a coffee shop there in jackson square which was also where the community theater was in the same little square and it was called the Daily Grind, and I'd spent so much of my time there. I just our drama club would meet there in the morning to get coffee, and we would hang out. They would do these like teen poetry nights. Yeah, and I I think that I've told Jocelyn this story before, but I haven't told the listeners this story before. I was obsessed with this guy named Evan Horn, and he lived in his van. He was nineteen when I was like sixteen, seventeen. And my best friend and I thought that he was so cute and we just wanted to leave our whole life and live in his van with him. And he smoked clove cigarettes and we got her older sister to buy us a whole pack of clove cigarettes. And we stood in the alley of this coffee shop smoking them one after the other, just hoping that he would come outside and notice that we also (laughs) smoked clove cigarettes. And I got so sick that I threw up in the alleyway. And I never smoked another clove cigarette after that. But did he work there? No, he just hung out there with the teenagers, even though he was 19 and he lived in a <laughs> van. So if you're listening, Ethan Horn, James <laughs> is single. And um, I also would like the copy of Buffy the Vampire Slayer on VHS that you borrowed from me that you never gave back. And then when I came to Knoxville, I hung out at Cup of Joe uh, on the Strip on campus every night uh, and 11th Street Coffee House, which I think, Jocelyn, you I remember seeing you at 11th Street quite a bit. 
So I'm glad that you brought coffee culture back to Knoxville. I mean, I don't know if you single-handedly did it, but I'm glad that coffee culture is back in general because you're right. Like it, it sort of did fade away, but it's when I walk into South Press, I feel like I'm walking into my second home. Yeah, it's it's very. It feels like I'm walking into the past. It feels like I'm walking into home, and I love it. Well, and, and then Jocelyn, you're also not from Knoxville. You're from Newport. So, like, how was it growing up there? I can't imagine. <laughs> I mean, I have always been loud and feminine and visibly queer. And so, obviously, growing up in Southern Appalachia, especially in such a rural part of Southern Appalachia, there were people who took note that I was weird. Yeah. Right. And so those people were unkind, but there were also little pockets. I did not, not be myself for fear of those people not approving. Mm -hmm. So uh, while I did play grass cutter football, I also cheered for the older, uh, football teams. Can you tell me what grass cutter football is? Yeah, it was like is. the, the youngest, uh, kids to play were the grass cutters. So okay. if you're like five, six, seven age, uh, and then I don't remember what any, cause I didn't make it that far. I still <laughs> cheered past that. But the first year that I asked if I could cheer, cause I had an older sister who was a cheerleader and I wasn't even, I was not even in kindergarten yet. So I would have just been like four, maybe yeah. five, but we were cloggers too with the clinch oh, mountain man. cloggers. And so I, I don't know. I guess my point is, is that I did not, restrict the things that I was interested in. You know, I was in choir in high school. I was always a dancer and always very visibly queer. And I didn't miss out on things for fear that people might figure it out. Um, and also came out at 15. Yeah. And so at that, and at that point I just wasn't safe in Newport because it was okay for them to think that I was queer. It was certainly not okay in 1998 for me to say it out loud as if I wasn't ashamed of it. Because all the adult queer people, even though there were queer people in Newport, all of the adult queer people were very, like, shame-based. Mm -hmm. There were no adults who were, like, happy and healthy and well-adjusted, just living their best queer life. Well, it was the 90s. I don't know if anybody was happy or adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> I, so there were other queer people. I just imagine Newport was just you and Michael Galusha and then a bunch of farmers. I didn't know. I didn't know at the time that they were queer. I mean, I knew, but there was also, if you signaled to another queer person that you were also queer. You didn't talk to each other for fear of people making the connection. Right. So even though Michael Galusha and I knew each other, he was in band and I was in the choir. So we were in the band room all the time in high school. We may have spoken five words to yeah. each other because lingering too long on a suspected other queer person was suspicious, suspicious. Yeah. And you were going to get called out. And yeah. so, there were pockets of like safety for my authenticity in Newport, but ultimately the risks of living there um, just far outweighed the benefits. And there was some family dynamic issues as well, but I got the heck out of there. As soon as I was legally allowed to leave, I left Newport and I have never, I mean, I still go back cause I'm close with my family now, but I do not, I do not, still to this day feel like it would be safe for me to live there. Right. And that's just more a, a testament to it is a it is a a time that just has not 
Newport has not evolved like the rest of East Tennessee. And I'm not sure that I am the one that needs to go in and change that. You know, <laughs> I th- you, you, I feel like you have bigger fish to fry than we Newport, all have roles probably. to play. Yeah. I mean, I do not stop going to Newport to see my mama or my sister or my nieces or my nephews, but I'm not going to the Walmart in Newport. No. Because they start transvestigating me. Because <laughs> I look just familiar enough that they know they know me from somewhere. Yeah. And they start looking and like investigating parts of me to see if they figure it out. And when they do figure it out, it can go one of two ways. Right. You know, it could go, oh my gosh, you look great. Because I do. Um, <laughs> or... <laughs> You know, slurs. Right. Or, you know, if, if it comes to the slurs, just tell, just tell them to meet you at a Weigel's and it's going <laughs> to pop off. Listen. <laughs> so the really important question, though, for me about Newport is, is that sagebrush still there? It is not. It is oh. actually a Weigel's now. Oh, okay. How ironic. <laughs> they tore down the Newport's Shoney's and the Sagebrush to put the up a Waggles. They paved Paradise to put up a parking lot. Where are people going to eat lunch after church in Cracker Newport? Cracker Barrel. Oh. Store number 18, where I started in 1997. <laughs> you were with Cracker Barrel a long time, weren't you? 17 years. Oh, wow. I've never that's been wild. with anything but myself for 17 years. That's, that's a long time. That's a little over half my age. I mean, <laughs> you know, when I started working for Cracker Barrel, they did not know how to treat a human being. They had forwardly racist and homophobic rules in their uh, book, their employee handbook. It just wasn't a great, but it was the only place in Newport where I could serve. When did you when say you started there. working there? In September of 1997. Okay. I worked there. I worked for Cracker Barrel as well, but I worked for Cracker Barrel in like, I think I started in like 2005. So th- they had sort of fixed a lot of those Two things. Two class action lawsuits by that time. Wow. Um, and then I also sued them twice independently, not for any amount of money, but just for them to do the right thing. I had received discrimination, and when I called them to the carpet, they retaliated. So I sued them for both. The So you were, you were suing them, but also still showing up for work every day. I refused to quit. I mean, listen, That's I, incredible. I, I transitioned I working for Cracker Barrel. And like I said, they didn't quite, they had no policies around this because nobody had ever done it before. And I had worked there at this point. I had worked there for 12 years. I had never even been written up before. And I said, I'm, I'm taking three weeks off to get my name changed. It's my paid vacation time. Everybody yeah. who works there gets it. And when I come back, I need my name on my apron. I'm coming back to work as me. And our district manager and an HR uh, resource manager came in from home office, offered me $25,000 to sign a non-disclosure agreement and walk away. And I said, absolutely not. I'm perfectly capable of making a living for myself. I'll be back to work in three weeks to get my new aprons. And I took my three weeks paid vacation. And about three days before I was due to come back, the ETC, which is like the employee training coordinator, I reached out to me and said, and if you would like to come and pick up your aprons and get impressed before you come back to work. And when I went back in, Jocelyn was on my name, was on my apron. I didn't leave stores. I didn't, I was going to not compromise. And I worked for them for five more years after that. Did you always work at that one or did you? No, I, for, I made this mistake of moving to Florida for a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to Florida. And the great thing, I would say, the only time in my transition in 15 years that I have flown stealth, 
Meaning the people in my life generally did not know that I was trans, at least not 100% for sure, mm-hmm. was when I moved to Florida, I moved down there to that Cracker Barrel, and they loved me. They put me, they made me a shift leader. They begged me to be a manager. Um, but they just always felt like I was just a big old corn-fed country girl from the hills of East <laughs> Tennessee. So nobody ever suspected suspected it wasn't until the bathroom laws in North Carolina came up that I they forced me out because they were saying all these disgusting things about trans people. And I was like, hey, you're talking about me. And they're like, no, we're not talking about you. We're talking about transsexuals. But no, you're talking about me. And I do think that that was a growing moment for the people in that store specifically because they had this preconceived notion about what trans people looked like and what they did. But they liked me and they respected me and they knew me as a mother because my ex down there had a child. So I was like, I was, I got the opportunity to be a mother for at least three and a half years. Yeah. And it through that process, they learned that they actually did like and respect a trans person and, and, and we weren't so scary. And I think that that's really the way we change the world is by allowing people to see us and to love us through that, through the growth. You said, I'm a, I'm a red apron, four par, just like you. <laughs> I did. That's what they give the trainers at Cracker Barrel, the red aprons. Oh, do they? Mm-hmm. I've, only, I've only ever <laughs> seen the brown ones when, I, when I'm there. So, Jocelyn, this past October, Matt and I, along with our close group of friends, uh, got to attend your wedding, and it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And you got married to Braddock. He's very lucky. And this is your first husband, right? He is. Okay. He is very lucky. You are correct. How did you and Braddock meet? You Okay, so I think that you guys are a great pair, but I also don't know that if I were a stranger and I saw you guys standing next to each other, I would assume that you were a couple. I don't... Is it because I'm so hot? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it is. That's what it is. I don't know. I just, I think that you guys... I now that I know you, I know that you are the perfect pair for each other. But when I first came to work for you at the coffee shop, I was kind of like... Who's, who is this guy? <laughs> and then I like immediately fell in love with him yeah. as a family member as well. But um, how did you guys meet? Um, I had just moved back from Florida not long uh, before and was trying to just plug into community. And Trans Empowerment Project was doing a clothing swap at the birdhouse in Fourth and Gill. And so it was my birthday. And I had went over there to do the clothing swap. And they had had, the birdhouse at that time had had some racially motivated threats. And so they had kind of a security detail working in the outside just to kind of make sure that people were safe to come and go. And Braddock was there working security detail because his girlfriend at the time was involved with Trans and Quality Project. Okay. And so that was the connection. Yeah. But he smoked cigarettes at the time and he was outside smoking and I came out to also smoke and he asked me for a lot and we just started talking and for months we were just friends. We, uh, we would just kind of go up to Pigeon Forge and hang out and when I would get off work, he would be sitting on my porch smoking a cigarette waiting for me because he got off at two and I got cut at two and we just started hanging out and being friendly it wasn't until many, and I and I also told, because we were spending so much time together, people suspected that we were dating, even though we really weren't. Yeah. And it wasn't, and we went, 
I was going on a cross-country trip. I had remapped my life out to, um, I had bought a 27-foot travel trailer. I put solar panels on it, the whole thing. I was going to travel across the country and just open a new Cracker Barrel. And the first one that we were opening when I went on the road was in Vegas. And oh, so, wow. <laughs> Um, I was wait, gonna take wait, I have to ask. Did well finish the story. I'm sorry, go ahead. So um I told Braddock for months, you know, I bought that travel trailer in February and I was planning on leaving in September. And I kept telling him, like, don't get too attached to me. I'm leaving in September and I'm gonna be living on the road. So you're not coming with me, and I'm not coming back anytime soon. So about two weeks before I was scheduled to leave in September, he said, I just really think that it's dangerous for a woman to be traveling alone across the country, especially through some of the Central America states, which are just so vast and so empty that you just, you know, if, if something were to happen and I were alone, it could be an issue. Yeah. And so he convinced me to let him come with me. And then he was going to get to Vegas with me and get me set up. And then he was going to fly back. Yeah. So we left here and went up to Chicago and drove across the northern part of the country all the way to the Washington Sounds and then down the 101 through Washington and Oregon and California and went to San Francisco and then back to Vegas. And we get to Vegas and we just spank its butt. I mean, we went there the first day and won $800 at the Flamingo. We would go and lose money at the Hard Rock or the Venetian and we would go back to the Flamingo and just win again. So, and you guys are are not you're still just in like the friend zone, right? You haven't even really started like No, we're just kind of fond of each other and spend a lot of time and I guess maybe we would slip up and call each other affectionate names, but at this point we had not really been dating, you know? Signified as that. It looked like it. In hindsight, we were. <laughs> you were, yeah. In you hindsight, were just... we were. It's just that he wasn't ready to. Because also, Braddock is a cishet man. So prior to getting with me, he did not have any desire to be with a trans woman. He is not what we would call a chaser. Yeah. He was just someone who got attached to me, and it wasn't a deal breaker that I was trans. Right? And so four days into Vegas... I come out of the shower house and the travel trip. And I came out, I've already talked to my Cracker Barrel in Vegas. They are expecting me in two weeks to come to work. And I was just taking some time to kind of settle in, find my grocery store, find my nail salon, that sort of thing. I come out four days. The trailer is uprooted. My dogs are in their kennels. My scooter is in the back of the truck. And Braddock is sitting in the driver's seat of the truck with it running. My hair's still on towel. And so I get up in the passenger seat and we never really talk about it. And we drive on to the Grand Canyon and then drive. We were in Austin, not Austin, in Texas where the Six Flags is, San Antonio, maybe. We are getting off the Joker roller coaster and we are walking down the turnstile. And Kevin, he's never shown me any affection in public before. He reaches down and grabs my hand. And he's holding my hand in a Six Flags in Texas as we're walking down a turnstile. Wow. And we get down to the end and he pulls me in and he kisses me on the lips. And he says, I just think that maybe you should be my girlfriend. And Mm -hmm. I said, I think that you're right. (laughs) So we drove back to Tennessee and he went to, he parked my travel trailer. He already had a 
like a carport thing in the back yeah. that's meant for an RV. He backed it right in there and then unhooked, took my truck and went and got the rest of my stuff out of storage. And I have been living with him in that house ever since. And how long and ago was, was that? That was at this point seven years ago. Wow. That's we're working through our seventh year now. I love that. So I guess my question was going to be, what is a Cracker Barrel in Vegas like? But I guess you never saw the inside of a Cracker Barrel no, in Vegas. No, I went there and talked to my new boss to kind of see it looked the exact same as the rest of them. Oh, but it had I just that imagined blue. it was everything, but just covered in sequins. No, it's like that blue kind of hueish, kind of antique looking wood instead of the brown. Okay. It was, I mean, it was neat. It was out by the airport, but now they're already closing those down out there. So what did you tell them whenever like you were just like, See ya. I said some things came up and I'm not moving from Tennessee to Vegas. So I called. The, also, the thing about it is, is that, I, like I said, I was a good employee. So when I called my boss at my old store here in Knoxville and told mm -hmm. him that I was coming back, they were ecstatic. It's not like they were like, oh, it didn't work out. They were like, no, you can't. Of course, I also came back. My 17 year anniversary was that September. We left and came back in October. So about three weeks after my 17 year anniversary, I quit Cracker Barrel. It just didn't make me happy anymore. So I left the day before Thanksgiving. I was so dramatic. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause I'm sure they were so mad. Cause I I'm sure they're busy on a holiday like that. I walked out on a serving job on Valentine's day once. It was at a restaurant where I was worked with all of my friends and I was being very dramatic, and I put my server apron on the host stand, and I said, I quit, and I walked out, and then I was driving. I don't drive now, but I was driving at the time, and my friend had driven uh, my car on her brake to get something, and so I had to go back in and get the keys from her after, oh my, God. after my dramatic exit, <laughs> and so then I did it again, and I said, I am I quit, I'm leaving, and then I walked out in the parking lot and noticed that my good friend Tristan's lights were on, her, were on in her car, so I went back in, and I was like, Tristan, your lights are on, and I quit, and then it was very, very dramatic. You had to take a couple takes before yeah. you, like, you really got it down. Yeah, I had to... Pick the good one. So now that you've been married with Braddock for six months now, like, how does it feel to be, like, beyond that boyfriend-girlfriend life to, like, husband-wife Yeah, life? what's married life like for you? We're curious because Matt is uh, currently engaged and he's about to experience married life. And I would like to know because no one's ever going to ask me. Oh, my so. God, shut up. <laughs> I don't know. Married life feels very much the same because we were already so enmeshed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we already had the house. We already had the dogs. We already had kind of a system and a dynamic that was working. So it didn't feel like it changed our relationship. I think that if anything, it helps. It helps me with my trauma associated with abandonment because once he proposed to me, took the time to like, create that moment for me and let me have it. Cause he knew I had never been engaged. He knew I had never been married. He catered to me through the whole wedding process. So for me, it was more so just about, he wanted to give me that day. I wanted the experience. And, but in everyday life, it really is not that much different because we were already so enmeshed, but it's good. I mean, I feel happy. I feel very, if, like I said, it was more so about the security. Yeah. When I, once I, I realized, that. okay, there, 
you're I'm not going to come home from work one day and you've packed up everything and be gone. Like there's a permanence to this. And I think that when you know that there's permanence to it, you can take some of those guards down. And then it just made me love him so much more. You know what I mean? Because I was able to really be vulnerable and allow him to see the things about me that I felt insecure about and him not love me in spite of what others might consider flaws, but because of them. I love that. Also, you guys just remodeled your house, right? And and you made it through that as well. We so did. congratulations and on that. We did that instead of a honeymoon. So instead of like going to Hawaii or something fun, and we did everything except for the plumbing and electrical ourselves. Handy Randy did the rest. But we did it without really a single thought. We make a good team. You do. That's something that that I immediately noticed about you and Braddock is that you guys you're you just pair well together you know like you kind of know when to tell him to be quiet and don't say that right now and he sort of knows when to tell you like hey this is you need to stand up for yourself that you know like don't let people walk you guys are just such a really good pair and I really enjoyed the time that I spent working at South Press with the two of you for sure it was like instant family I feel like with us like I, you and I have been aware of each other for a long time, a couple decades, probably, honestly, but we didn't really, I actually, I remember the very first time I ever saw you in drag because your stage name was Siren Gnosis and I've, and I love Hedwig as much as you do probably. And, um, but we didn't really run in the same circles and we didn't really cross paths until you opened South press. And, and then I later on down the road came to work for you, but it was, I feel like our friendship was like instant. <laughs> we, it's, it's fun to have somebody to get dumb with and mm-hmm. you and I are really good at getting dumb with each other. <laughs> I think it's also part of working at South press is kind of having fun with it. We don't have the, uh, the variable of like rude guests to offset the energy. And so you can just kind of get in there. It's hard work for sure, but it is definitely still lot hearted. Yeah. Well, I think everybody that comes to South press, like the moment you step in, it's just like that, that energy that you do feel going in there. And I mean, I've, I've made some friends working or like going there. Like, you know, some of the people that work there, like, you know, I've, I've become friends with them and it's just such a cool place to just, like you said earlier, just come and just chill for a little bit. Cause like sometimes we're there for hours yeah. and like, we just like <laughs> hang out and chill, but it's so much fun the entire time. It's great. And it's, you know, once you walk through the door, there's no question as to whether or not you can just completely be authentic and be yourself. Exactly. There, so. And so we've been talking about South press, you know, kind of towards the middle of this, uh, episode and so i just kind of like want to know is like what inspired you or like motivated you to like open south press um i mean i guess first and foremost i lost my job because of covid well there's that i had never really been unemployed before so i had never really given a lot of thought as to what i would do if i didn't have to go to work tomorrow because i had just been on a schedule for 24 years Mm -hmm. and when i left cracker barrel after 17 i got immediately hired at a fine dining joint so it was never really without. But it was also, you know, my husband is in recovery. 
I don't drink because of a personality thing. And so all of the social spaces, even in our neighborhood, were very alcohol-centered. Yeah. And there was no queer designated space. Because I want to be clear, South Press is a queer coffee shop. It's not a LGBTQ-friendly coffee shop. It is a coffee shop designated for queer people. When straight people come, they are guests there. Yeah. And that's not really ever existed in Knoxville before. And so I wanted to have a social, sober, queer space. I knew that a restaurant or a bar or a restaurant would be way too expensive. So I figured a coffee shop would be something that I could do alone. And the reason why it's South Press is because we were only going to do French press coffee and drip. I had bought an old drip machine out of an old diner in Maryville for a hundred dollars <laughs> and 10 French presses from Amazon. And that was going to be the coffee shop. And uh, I remember, I remember coming in those very, or very early days and the coffee has always been tasty, but what you've done is you've figured, you've just, you've figured it out. Like you figured out every bit of it on your own, which is so admirable. I don't know. I think I think I also just never really figured in success. You know, I figured that if I it really what happened was I lost my job and I couldn't find another one because I thought surely COVID would be over in two weeks. Why would I miss miss two weeks of work? I'll just go find another job. And here we are two years later, three years later. Yeah. Well, I couldn't find a job. No place was hiring. Right. And I couldn't file for unemployment because the system was so clogged with everybody else who had filed. So I was in this weird um, kind of catch-22 where I really could not go to work because no place was hiring, but also couldn't draw unemployment. So I kind of created it for myself. And I figured if in a year I failed, I will go back, COVID will be over, and I will go and find another job at a fine dining joint and be, just be back to work. Like, what's the loss? Because I also didn't take a loan out. I had my retirement. When I left Cracker Barrel, I had rolled that into a, a, my 401k into a CD. So I just cashed that out. And that's what I invested in myself. And we recouped it. I mean, it's just grown and grown. I, I sometimes can't believe that it's grown as much as it has in the last almost three right. years. Like, it feels absurd. When you think back to that tiny shop, you're just like, I mean, I'm I'm in awe. And I didn't have anything to do with it, you know? Like, I just... I That small shop, what was the capacity there? Like... We opened at half capacity and went to a quarter capacity, but my capacity initially was 12. Um, <laughs> so we we managed through COVID to really not knowingly get anybody sick or at any point in time, anybody come back and say, I think that I got COVID at the shop because we required masks yeah. to enter unless you were actively eating or drinking. But when I think about the little shop, I miss it. Yeah, Times were simpler. I also just think the little shop was a work of art. It's not that the big shop doesn't have its own magic. Do not get me wrong. It does. But the small shop had an energy about it. The room itself felt very healing and very consoling. It felt, uh, but it was also, it was Dimensions Beauty Shop for 33 years prior. And it had not been inhabited in five years. So you think about, so the, the floors and the walls were Tennessee marble in there. And you think, what happens in the beauty shop? Yeah. Women are the happiest when they're at the beauty shop getting their hair done. Yeah, that's they are good laughing energy. with each other. So the, just the room felt very energized, like a giant quartz crystal just charged with positive energy. And I felt like 
I feel like people knew that or could feel that. Or maybe it was just that that was really the fruit of the initial labor when I was working really hard in the beginning. Because Braddock didn't work with me in the beginning. He was deemed essential and he was still driving a truck every day. So I would get up every morning and go to the shop alone uh, and work from 7 a.m. until 9 p.m. every single time. We were open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. back in those days. Oh, wow. That's kind of what made it work. Yeah. Was that we had those later hours and we would sit full until that time. Because after we, after we blew up on TikTok by accident, we went from I was barely making it to we were on a capacity weight every single day. I, I remember coming to South Press and to the little shop and waiting in the car for 20, 30, 40 minutes before I could come in and get a coffee. In the rain, in the snow. Yeah. People were committed to supporting the shop and showing up. I never got to experience the small shop. I've only been to where South Press is now. Um, but like I I would see it on like Facebook or like stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is such a cute little shop. But like I at the time was so busy with work because at the time I worked for T-Mobile. So I didn't really have a lot of free time. Um, but now I'm like, I couldn't imagine. I can imagine South Press now being bigger than what it currently is. Like I can't wait for it to be like the size of a Walmart super center, you know, (laughs) who would have ever thought that 2,800 square feet of coffee shop would not be enough. But on Saturdays and even some weekdays, we run out of seating. We literally run, we're seating people in the parlor. We're asking people in booths to scoot in. We're asking people to share tables with people because there is not enough seats for everyone. Of course we make it work. I don't care to approach a table and ask them to scoot in and make room for everybody else. Cause there is Always room at our table for more. At what point did you realize in the small shop that you had outgrown and that you needed to go somewhere else? I was trying to grow slowly. So, you know, we started in September. uh, We opened the initial doors of the small shop in September of 2020. By December, I had already procured the barber shop, which was another 650 square feet next door. Oh, I forgot about that. I remember going over there, too, for the extra seating. I forgot. They could come in and order and then go next order and see it. And it kind of doubled our capacity. But, of course, COVID got worse. And uh, it just wasn't. Here's the thing. When you love the people you are serving, you cannot knowingly put them in danger. And being open to people sharing the space at that time, as hundreds of thousands of people were dying, it was it would have been tone deaf to stay open. It also, I feel, like could have been some death on my hands if I had kept it open. So we went to to-go's only. And when we went to to-go's only, initially... Roddick said, this is going to be, this is the kiss of death. This is what's going to put you out of business. Just can't, it's not going to work. And I said, well, maybe we could take this time that we're closed to, you know, in-house guests to take some of this wall out if Bob will let us. And he said, no, that structurally the building couldn't have a doorway connecting the two spaces. But he showed me the unit in the next building down and told me that he would allow me to have it while we were renovating. And until we got open down there, I wouldn't have to pay rent. So in January, when we, I went ahead and procured the the current space, the 2,800 square foot space. And I would work doing to goes only from 
eight in the morning until four in the afternoon. So seven to five. And then I walked down to the, the current space and pulled out the carpet and leveled the floor and sealed it and painted the entire thing. And then Randy laid all 2,800 square feet of the flooring. And then it took from January to June to get it done. And we finally, after our battle with the city, got open in July of 2021 in the current location. So we're approaching two years in the, yeah. shop, in the big shop. That's so great. I love I love to see a like local not really as small now queer business like just really boom. And it's crazy to think about it. It's been two years that you've been in the big space. Well, really what I hope that people see or the way I hope it's viewed is that South Press is not the exception to the rule. South Press can be the rule. If you uh, invest in yourself and you're willing to work really hard and you work building community and engaging with people and getting support, you can be successful. I think that I would love to see a South Press-esque place exist in every city because queer people exist in every city. Absolutely. And, you know, let me first say I'm not down on myself, but I'm not exceptionally smart. I'm not a great singer. I'm not a good actress. I'm not a good dancer. But one thing I am really, really good at is working, showing up and working really hard. And I think sometimes when you do that, you can make up for all of those other shortcomings. And that's really the the tale of South Press is that I just didn't stop coming to work. I just kept coming to work even when I was tired, even when it felt impossible and just held space for people. And people held space for me whenever I was struggling too, you know, because we've had several closures for one reason or another, just because things happen, life happens. But also in the beginning, the sky was falling every time something happened. Because yeah. I didn't know for 24 years, I made $2.13 an hour. Now, I made a good living serving tables, but that was what my time and talent was worth to people who were employing me. And so one thing that I made sure of was I didn't want, I didn't want anybody to ever say we wouldn't have make it. Had we not exploited cheap labor. And so one of the things that I was committed to early on was not hiring anyone until we could provide them a living wage mm -hmm. until they could pay their bills off the money that we're paying them. And I'm grateful that we've been able to do that. I think that's probably my personal, I, I feel, really feel like that is an accomplishment to go to be someone who was never paid a living wage that once I was able created jobs that exist in that realm to be the kind of leader I wanted all those years. Well, here's, here's the experience that I had working for you. I hadn't, I don't know that I'd ever had a boss care so much about me before you. And I'd certainly never had a boss make sure that they let me know how much I was worth. And I didn't get to work for you for a very long time. I, less than a year I worked in the shop, but I learned so much about myself and it was all rooted just in the fact that you, you allowed me to be who I was every day when I came to work. I, you let me wear whatever I wanted when I came to work and I discovered so much about myself in the nine months or however long that I worked for you. And it changed the direction of my life. 
And I don't know if I've ever actually sat down and thanked you for that. But, you know, like, I'm a much different person than I was before I came to work at South Press. And I'm just very appreciative of that. I don't mean to get sappy on the podcast, but, you know, like, there were just, you let me feel the things and think the things that I didn't allow myself to for a really long time. And I mean, when I started working for you at South Press, I was, I thought that I was a cis gay man, a hundred percent gay, you know, like, and, and just, you just allowed me to blossom so much. And, and that's, not necessarily that's not an energy that you reserve for people you give that energy to everybody that you come in contact with like everybody that you talk to you're planting seeds in and changing and we love you for that for sure sorry i didn't mean to get so no i love it i was just like staring at you i was like oh my god this is my bestie over here just saying all this sweet stuff i can't i mean it really like i i just i just appreciate you i think more than just about anybody that I know. Well, I love you, James. <laughs> I would say that at that time, I was probably not the best leader in general. I think that just like all the other stuff that I've kind of figured out along the way, I mean, the the worst of, of my responsibilities was, did I get my silverware roll before I left for my shift? <laughs> to go from that to be charged with the responsibility of maintaining a business that can provide a living wage to everyone. Cause that's also the thing I was responsible for creating enough business for you to take enough home to pay your bills. It's a huge responsibility to have. And I wasn't always great at it. I mishandled situations. And luckily I feel like a lot of the folks that I, that have worked for me, who, if you had asked them at the time, or maybe even now, I don't know what working for me was like, they would probably not all sing my praises. Right. But that that's, that perception is absolutely valid and very real because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. It wasn't on purpose. I didn't do anything vindictive. I just didn't know what I was doing. I was fumbling my way through it. And there was a lot of collateral damage. I do think that I have taken those mistakes and acknowledged the part that I carried in them and tried to resolve them within myself to where I don't make the same mistakes again. Right. Yeah. You, if, you have, you learned a lot. I mean, it's growth situation for sure. Being a first time business owner, like it's growth that you have to do. Like you have to learn from your mistakes and you have to know what you can and cannot do anymore. And I mean, obviously you're doing something right. I've made my fair share of mistakes. I would like to say that I've not made the same ones twice, but that's definitely when you don't, I don't know college education. So I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of fumbling my way through. Luckily our community has given me a lot of grace I think partially in the fact that I'm so transparent about it's like, you know, I'm not messing up on purpose. I just don't know what I'm doing. And I think that people see that and I'm like, oh, well, I guess I wouldn't know what I was doing either. So I do. F- I'm grateful for the grace that is extended to me. I don't always extend the grace to myself that I extend to others. So it's nice to have a community that does that for me. At some point as a person, one has to make the decision to stop saying, I don't know how to do this and start saying, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And that is a hundred percent something that I learned from you for sure. For sure. And now I say, I don't know how to do this, but there are people who do. And I'm going to source things to the people who kind of are good at things. 
I think that's where I'm learning to be a better leader is to say, I'm not good at this, but here are the people that are. I'm going to let them do it because then I don't burn out as quick. Let's take a little break and uh, maybe hear a little ad. So you kind of touched on this earlier that there's not a whole lot of, of rude customers and negativity that comes in the shop. But to be, I mean, let's be honest, we live in Tennessee. So there are people out there who, who don't support South Press. They don't, they don't want to support a queer owned business. Um, they don't want to support even like a woman owned business. There are haters out there. What keeps you, what keeps you from sort of like festering in that? What keeps you from rising above that and just continuing to do what you need to do? Um, I mean, when you cast a broad net, right? Uh, just with the example of like the TikTok closet, there are like 67,000 followers on there. When you cast a broad net, uh, yes, you catch a lot of fish, people that want to hear your message, people who want to support. You also catch a lot of garbage. I think it's important to remember that not everybody's opinion, not everybody's review of my performance, not everybody's critique of the way I do things is valid. Not because their opinion isn't valid, but because I don't care. Do you know what I mean? I think knowing whose opinion matters and who doesn't is what makes it easier uh, to do that. But now I also think that, uh, you know, South Press is a, a be nice or be gone space. But in the climate that we live in, there are a lot of people who are just really outraged that trans people even exist. And even more so outraged that a trans person would dare to dream bigger than just less for themselves. Right. Who would dream for more for themselves. And if you don't, if you just idealistically disagree with trans people existing, but you don't know any to lash out at, I'm a very easy target. Do you know what I mean? My phone number is on the door. Uh, the email leads straight to me. All the socials lead to me. So I do receive a lot of that. But I think for me, it's about knowing the work that we're doing is so much more important than me. Because also I know that they are internet warriors, right? They're hiding behind a keyboard and saying these vile things because they would never do that in a Walmart. Never. Yeah. Never. You know, they would never show up to the shop uh, and cause a scene. And I'm confident in that. I, I feel like I know that these are people who are not emotionally mature enough to just say, you're not for me. You know what I mean? You're just not meant for me. There are lots of things that I see on the internet all the time that are just not meant for me. I'm not the audience that that content was created for. And I just choose not to engage with them, right. not to go there with them. Because often when I receive trolling, it's people who want my attention. They don't necessarily want to lash out at me as much as they want me to lash back out. Yeah. So that they can say, see, she's not yeah. what she presents to be. You know, I love the haters, especially on TikTok. I, I engage. It keeps you in the algorithm, you know. Sometimes I lay traps because I know that somebody's going to be outraged that I'm wearing a crop top and I'm fat, and they'll cuss me in the comments, and then it's going to put me in the algorithm, you know. I just think 
people just want their 15 minutes of fame. Like, it's grow up, get a life. I'm like, sitting right here, Matt. <laughs> well, we're not going to talk about you right now. But I just, I really, it, it, it almost like infuriates me that people will take time out of their day to try to bring someone else down for for them being their most authentic selves but yet here they are like you said behind a keyboard not doing anything and i guarantee you if they ever showed up they're not gonna want the repercussions of it because south press is a family we are all gonna be there backing you up backing the shop up I mean, we've we've seen it happen countless times when people try to come for one of our friends, and it doesn't end well because, I mean, we're not going right. to just sit there and take it. We're well, go- we're going to be a family and be there for each other. And a lot of it too, I think that most people who want to criticize people living their authentic lives are people who just aren't living their authentic lives. You know, I think a lot of it is jealousy. A lot of it is people just not being able. To be themselves and being yeah. angry that there are other people out there doing it. Jocelyn, what would you say to the people who either don't support queer spaces and spaces like South Press or maybe even don't understand why there's a necessity for places like South Press? I would urge them to take note that there are people in their life that they love that are queer. And when they choose to make hateful comments even in the privacy of their home, their queer children, whether they be small children or adults, are hearing that message. I would want them to find their sense of community. I firmly believe that hurt people hurt people. If they felt loved and supported and seen in their life, I do not know that they would have the gumption to step to someone else and criticize I do not think that happy people lash out. I think unhappy people do. And I think understanding that allows me to even deal with people who would oppose me with the same grace. I give them grace because I don't know what walk of life brought them to these determinations about queer and trans people. And quite honestly, I'm not responsible for them. I'm responsible for me. But I hope for everyone that they find their community. I think that's... I think that's the way we as humans were meant to exist in small tribes of people Mm -hmm. where what you bring to the table is different than what I bring to the table, but both very valid and both very needed. And we build these little pods of community where we're all getting our needs met, not individually, but as like a bigger conglomerate. And I think that capitalism has driven this wedge in between people that we're all on this island and I have to figure out how I'm going to pay my light bill and I've got to figure out how I'm going to pay my groceries and I've got to figure out how to pay my stuff. And then all of a sudden we're just, just focused on self, no longer worried about where anybody else is getting fed. And if we're constantly running the rat race and just trying to keep the bills paid, where is the room in our life for joy? That's what community provides. Community provides alleviation from the responsibilities so that we can have joy in our lives. And community is the people that we choose to share that joy with. And that's what, for me, South Press is. It's about holding space for people to feel joyful in a world that doesn't love them properly and doesn't treat them well. You know, most of the people who darken our door are already hurting. 
because the world has hurt them. And I want Southwest to be a place where they can come and for and take a deep breath and for a time being just know that they are safe and that they are loved and to kind of recharge the battery. We still live in Southern Appalachia. It is we are still in the dumpster fire that is a political dumpster fire that is Tennessee. You're so right. Where do people go when they need to recharge from that? That's very emotionally trying to live in a state where they're literally trying to legislate us out of existence, constantly being in a fight or flight kind of situation emotionally. It's terrifying. But we have to be there for each other. We have to build each other up. We have to make sure that we each of us are feeling supported and getting what we need to not just survive but to thrive. Community holds space for people to thrive. So speaking about making sure that everybody gets a seat at the table and everybody is fed, you work with a lot of local makers. Uh, all of your, like your cookies are Mama Bear sweet treats. Your coffee is Memoirs Coffee. Is that something that you always wanted from the beginning? Yeah, always. I mean, even from the very beginning in the little shop, you know, we would go up to where I'm from and buy the apple butter and the the jelly and always wanted to keep the impact. We also, because we started during COVID, and I do think that a shift happened during that time of people wanting to support small local business and know that where they're spending their money matters. And so I thought it's a great opportunity, number one, for people to come and support my small business. But it, what if they could come and in the process of buying their breakfast... They could support three or five small local businesses because then it's not me just trying to make my own success. It's about holding space for others to be successful. And we've been really fortunate to be able to grow that concept by having the small business pop-ups every week. We don't charge a vendor fee for that. Our vendor markets always do really well. And I think that People know that I've always felt like I'm going to be successful, right? I'm going to be successful at this. So from the moment that I knew that we were going to be successful, instead of running up that hill alone, I grabbed a hold of everybody else who wanted to come and said, come on, we're doing this together. And I think that's really the testament to our success is that we didn't try to do it alone. I think that if it had been self-centered, I think that if it had been ego-driven, it wouldn't have worked. Part of what makes it worth work is the humility that it takes to hold space for other people to be successful. Because pie for you doesn't mean less pie for me. It just means we all get pie. I love mm. pie. And, pie. I'm, and I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jocelyn, one last question for you. What would be your vision for South Press in the future? Like, what would you want South Press to become? What does the future hold? <laughs> Um, well, I'm a big goal setter in general. Like every year that we've been in business, I set goals for myself every year just to kind of give myself a benchmark of like, I set the goals and then I set smaller goals that help me get to there. So some of my goals for this year is to create two more living wage jobs. Some of my, one of my goals for this year is to set up a nonprofit. We do so much community engagement work. And the next name change that we do will be our 23rd name change in 2023. Wow. It's incredible. Um, for those of you who don't know, there's a, a monthly show at South Press called Trans People Are Magic. And all of the 
um, proceeds from that go towards helping people with name changes. We were actually able to grant some scholarships to folks outside of Knox County uh, in some of the more rural counties to help as well, just because we had a surplus and we were able to kind of reach out to some uh, rural folks who were ready to name their change. But I love the Trans People Are Magic show. That is something that I thought of because I really wanted to celebrate queer artistry and just give trans people stage. So often um, in kind of the drag queen race, trans people don't get the same stage or get the same opportunities as um, as the boy queens. And so I wanted to create a space where they could really feel safe to perform in their body as they see fit, free of restriction. Um, but then to also just be celebrated, just to have a knot where the whole knot was meant to celebrate trans people. So I hope to expand that during this year to set up a nonprofit that is all trans led and all trans board whose primary focus is not only doing name changes, but providing uh, legal assistance or legal aid, financial backing for, you know, should they start enforcing these laws and rounding us up and taking us to jail, we're going to need bail money. I, don't, I think that it is better to be preemptive. I would really like to see us have a, uh, a working like vocational, uh, not vocational rehabilitation, but vocational enrichment program built up at the shop where we could take people in and train them to be a barista. Because once you know how, you can go anywhere and get a job yeah. working on a barista bar. But if we could train people and give them kind of a mini trade school, something that they could really do, it makes them very hireable and very like is going to stand out. Also, just with with the clout that South Press has and the presence that we have in Knoxville and the people know it, I think that I think that it would help. I want to help more people. That's my goals for 2023. I want to help more people and figure out what that looks like. Well, um, we'd like to help you achieve those goals. Here's a check. No, I'm just kidding. We don't, we don't have any money. Jocelyn, thank you so much for being here with thank us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I love you all so much. It's been a lot of fun. We'll have to have you back soon. I agree. If y'all would like to visit South Press, you can stop by Tuesday through Saturday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. or come by any of their special events that are hosted. We hope to see you there. Matt. James. You know what's up. What time is it? It's calendar time. Hey. Pew, 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 pew. On May the 5th, we have Knox Pride presents Cinco de Bingo at South Press from 7 to 8.30. Also on May 5th and May 6th, we have Rome Fest at Baker Creek Preserve from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. both days. On May the 7th, we have Knox Pride Sunday Market from 12 to 4 with over 30 queer and POC vendors. Also on May the 7th, we have Emily's WMBA Watch Party from 5.30 to 10 p.m. On May 12th, we have Friendship Circle, the monthly queer neurodivergent meetup group. On May the 16th, we have Knox Pride Presents TTRPG's One Shot with Story. On May 20th, we have Knox Pride Volunteer Days from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. We also have Knox Pride Presents the Trans NB Support Group from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. And a lot going on that day. We also have the K. QYA Young Adult Meetup from 5.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. That's a lot. Yeah.
Well, this has been so much fun, Matt. I really enjoyed sitting down with Jocelyn and chatting with her. And as always, I love recording with you every time we get to sit down and do it. I know. It's so much fun. And I don't I don't want to toot our own horns, but like I think that we we mastered this this podcast. We mastered this episode. Like, is that what happened? <laughs> in my mind, like this is my podcast professional era, and I'm just really enjoying it. Well, I love that. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, again, please make sure that you rate and review wherever you're listening. And we also have Unlocked Direct Listener Support, and the link for that will be in the show notes. So until next time. We see you. We hear you. And, and we, we love, love you. you. Knox Proud Podcast is produced by J.D. Davis, Matt Navarro-Camp, and James Owens with recording and engineering by J.D. Davis. Knox Pride Podcast is a community-driven effort, and we need your help. Please email us at podcast at knoxpride.com with any questions, ideas for guests, or suggestions on content. And don't forget to follow us at Knox Pride Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Knox Pride Podcast is brought to you by Knox Pride Network with funding from the United Way. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Knox Pride.